Hey everybody, Mike Dempsey here. It's NFL playoff time, and you can still win playing Underdog Fantasy by picking higher or lower on player stats at underdogfantasy.com. Sign up with promo code 1010XL, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. Let's go into the night with Rick Ballou on 1010XL 92.5 FM. And there she goes, just like that. Let's cross off month number one in 2024. We head into the night and we get ready to say goodbye to January. Just incredible. February to me uh, traditionally has some of the greatest words in sports, right? Ladies and gentlemen, start your engines, right? Pitchers and catchers reporting. How about the Senior Bowl? That'll happen on Saturday. The Super Bowl, a week from Sunday. Um, Conference basketball heating up. The All-Star break officially getting underway tomorrow in All-Star weekend in the National Hockey League. Certainly the NBA. And that high-scoring association is unlike anything that I thought I would ever see. It's just incredible the amounts of points that are being scored. And a lot of people as well. Think that, you know, officially tomorrow, the PGA Tour gets underway. I, I, I do miss the old days of the calendar year. You know, you begin with the Mercedes Championships in Hawaii, and then you begin the West Coast spin. You know, you go through California a few times, as they already have Southern Cal. Then you get over to, um, you know, to Pebble, and then you end up over in Arizona. And then all of a sudden it becomes uh, the Southern Swing throughout our great state. But for some folks... With football over, this becomes, you know, really that time of year. And it typically happens with the Pro-Am out at Pebble. You never really know what the weather is going to be like. Um, I think it was Tiger who said it. Trying to remember who else a few years ago was asked uh, the last time there was a major, the last time there was a United States Open uh, that was played in Pebble. And I'm going back a few years now. Obviously, that is played in the summer. And they were asked, well, why aren't you playing now during the regular PGA Tour event in February? And the response was, why would I do that? It would screw myself up that much more. The way that the wind blows and the temperature and everything that you see out in Monterey in February is going to be totally different from when the U.S. Open is played in the middle of the summer. Golf fans, PGA Tour fans, yes, February uh, does uh, include that. I, I, You know, we have this conversation here and there. A lot of people are going to tell you that February is arguably the worst sports month of the year. Totally disagree with that. Okay? You know, we're getting out of football. I get it. Getting out of football games, I should say. I get it. But we're not getting out of football. There's one story after another. And it feels like this offseason has absolutely flown by at least the month of January. And again, when we're here tomorrow night, 6 to 8 on a Thursday, it'll be February 1st. All right, with that said, in my opinion, time has flown by. 
Uh, for you, I can't measure it, right? I, I think every year is getting faster. I think every day uh, is getting shorter. But the remembrance of the disaster of losing five out of the last six, I, I know has been entrenched in your minds. And with that said, with everything that's gone on this month, I, I, I see more of a glimmer of hope, um, reality that, yeah, this is going to be a crazy offseason, but it's a lot better than it once was. And I find as the days and the weeks go by and now the months go by, all that recovery really does come into fruition. And I think you as a Jaguar fan, that healing process for some of you has already taken a major step. For others, I get it. There's consternation. I get it. You're still peeved. You still can't figure it out. Uh, but for the most part, again, as we do move forward, I, I think there's going to be a little bit less of that. Tonight, I'm really looking forward to the program because we're going to deal with the now. We're also going to look forward uh, to what is upcoming and that includes both free agency and the NFL draft, uh, particularly with a couple of issues that I have highlighted. All right? For starters, I was reading uh, Last Word on Sports today, and they were talking about T. Higgins. And they listed you know, a couple of teams that T. Higgins, they believe, could play for next year. And one of those three teams was the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I, you know, I look at T. Higgins and I look at his makeup. He's 25 years of age. He's a guy who's averaging more than 1,000 yards receiving in his four-year career. We know that he went back in the time with Trevor Lawrence uh, during their college football days uh, at Clemson. Yeah, he was hurt earlier this year, but he's a big-body wide receiver. And one of the biggest decisions that Trent Baalke is going to have to make this offseason, it's one of so many. And it's not like a typical, well, you got to make two or three big decisions with your current roster, then you got to go explore free agency, then you go and you evaluate the draft. Uh-uh. I'm talking about in-house. I'm talking about the current roster and, and, and the decisions that are going to have to be made as far as re-signing players, restructuring current contracts, or just waving goodbye. And the Calvin Ridley one is, is just awesome because I, you can't find consistency with the answer. For every keep him, he, has, you know, he dealt with rust. He was out for a year and a half. You get, what? The guy had a meltdown in this market with this media. You want to bring him back? He's going to be 29 during the NFL season. Others will say, well, you know what? He could have put on some weight. Give him another year under this system. For the most part, even though you're down on Press Taylor, you're down on possibly Doug Peterson, give him another. Maybe you're down on Trevor Lawrence and all the injuries. Give him another year uh, and let's see. Others will say, hell no. He's not a number one wide receiver. He didn't show anything during the course of the season that said, I'm a number one wide receiver. I think based on what we saw, Christian Kirk's a better wide receiver. Christian Kirk is more valuable than Calvin Ridley. So again, these are what you're going to uh, put into it. You know, missed assignments. Was it his fault? Was it Trevor's fault? Again, he mentally 
was weak. And it's been an issue for him. And I'm not making light of that because it's been highly documented. It's not a criticism. I'm not ripping him. I'm just spelling out the obvious. He didn't like being criticized for apparently running wrong routes. The team had to massage that. And a day later, Press Taylor had to throw Trevor Lawrence under the bus. Um, Do you need that? From a 29-year-old wide receiver who could be making 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 million dollars a year. And he didn't give you any of the big plays. He gave you a big play during week 18, game 17. Guys like me were telling you every single day at the Miller Electric Center in August, Calvin Ridley, big game Calvin. Calvin Ridley's going to come in here and take the top off the defense. Calvin Ridley's going to come here, score 11, 12, 13 touchdowns, average 18, 19, 20 yards per. Didn't happen. Didn't come close to happening. I'm all about the offensive line, and I'm going to go there in a moment. But I'm also about fix the offense first. Allow your defense to suffer. It's kind of like you meatheads out there who spend all day in the gym but you won't touch anything from your waist down. You got those little chicken legs, but you bench press 350 pounds, you know, and you can move mountains and the chicks love you. You got the, uh, you know, the curls for the girls and everyone's like, look at that guy, man. He's stalked, right? And then you got these little tiny little legs. That's the way the Jaguars need to be built this year, okay? Offense, 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 whatever. Crumbs from the table. Give it to the freaking defense. Outscore your opponent. That's how you win in this league, in my opinion. Hey, Baloo, both teams that are playing on Sunday are top five defenses. Hmm. Good point. It's an accurate point. But you can't fix it all at one point. Trent Bulky should have done this three years ago. I yelled about it then. He made some really good free agent signings. Now, all of a sudden, he's up against it. Because he's got to make decision after decision. And I think when it does come to Calvin Wrigley, there's a real good chance that he remains here. Because I believe the pressure is on Bulky to make moves in this organization where he is forced to win this year. 2024. Forget about 2025. Forget about 2026. If he wins this year, he saves his job, maybe to the point where he gets a brand-new contract, right? If he doesn't win, he at least went for it, and then whoever comes in once this thing gets blown up, you're going to have to probably deal with some salary cap issues in the year 2025. I asked him that question last week, if he would change his approach. And I even went as far as to say, you know, with your job being on the line, and he responded by saying he never worries about his job. How cool is that? As I say, I worry about my job three or four nights a week walking in here. Did I say something wrong? Was I not supposed to do that? Will my key work the next day? Trent Bulky doesn't worry about his job. He's got nothing to worry about. And I came out of that presser and I was like, damn. Maybe he does believe that he can do whatever he wants. And if it goes sideways, it wasn't his fault. It was the coaching staff's fault. It was the strength and conditioning coach's fault. It was the coaches themselves. It was their fault. 
And Trent Baalke's not trying to impress you right now on Blanding or on Southside or on Third Street, okay? All he's got to do is impress Shad Khan. That's it. And he's done it. Mind over matter. It's like a cult type of feel. I mean, he's like Manson. He's got him convinced that it doesn't matter what happens. I'm the man. I'm the guy. Listen to me. This is what it's all about. And that has happened so far. I think it's going to be very interesting to see the way he handles things this year. I, I would expect him to do more about this year, again, as opposed to the years that fall, which is great for you, right, a Jag fan? I mean, you want to win now. You don't care how your dead cap money looks in 2025 or 2026. If I even get into that, half of you are going to tell me that the salary cap doesn't work anyway. And that you can restructure, 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 whatever, and always find money. I I guess there's some truth to that. But there are times where Jacksonville has had 30-plus million in dead cap money. This past year wasn't nearly that. But they were right up against it. And, again, he just held on to money. He didn't use it. He could have certainly on one-year deals uh, to add uh, along that defensive line as far as a pass rusher. But he did not. T. Higgins, 6'4", 219, 25 years of age, is a really good chance that Cincinnati will tag him. There's also a really good chance that Cincinnati will try to do whatever they can to pay him the going rate. But rather it be T. Higgins, I'm not going to gush about Mike Evans, even though he's 6'5". He's 31. He's been so durable. He's been so consistent. I've watched a lot of – I watched more Tampa Bay football the last couple of years, probably because of Tom Brady, but obviously this past year with Baker. Mike Evans drops a lot of footballs, and he dropped plenty this year. Now, he's a future Hall of Famer, and he is outstanding, but – when I think about signing him at the age of 31, okay, I, I get horrors of, like, Bryce Pop. I get horrors of, like, Carnell Lake, right? I, I, I get horrors of going after guys that were so good, but it was right when they were at the pinnacle of their career. And you give them big-time money, and what happens? They came here, and they did not produce. Uh, I, I understand that a probably going to be in the minority here on Mike Evans. And if you watch football, I get it. But I'm just kind of forecasting what I do see for him in the future. I I just don't think it's going to be as consistent as it has been in his first 10 years. Nonetheless, whether it's Mike Evans or it's T. Higgins, what Jacksonville needs and I haven't heard this discussed, frankly enough. Trevor Lawrence needs a big wide receiver. He doesn't have a big wide receiver. He doesn't have one on his roster. Or at least the guy that is on your roster that you can effectively rely on. I mean, just look at the size of the Jaguar wide receivers. And, you know, it includes some younger guys as well, like a Parker Washington. And, and for what it's worth... When you talk about a Parker Washington as a sixth-round pick, that may end up being the second or third best pick in this past draft class for Trent Baalke. 
we'll see. I think you got to look at Antonio Johnson and Parker Washington and say, all right, well, you know, Trent gets ripped all the time for missing second, third, fourth round. Did he hit a couple of home runs there? Uh, Calvin Ridley, they say, is six one. Mm. I stand next to him at least once, sometimes twice a week. Six one, he's on his toes. Christian Kirk is five foot eleven. Okay, Zay Jones, who I don't think returns, I think he becomes a salary cap casualty, is six foot is uh, is six foot two. Parker Washington is five ten. Uh, Jamal Agnew is is tiny. Okay, and I don't think they bring back Agnew. He's listed as five ten. So you don't have a big wide receiver. And isn't that something that you would like to see get added to this football team? I keep seeing Keon Coleman at 17. Draft Keon Coleman, nice career at Michigan State, made some big plays at Florida State. And I just sit here and I shake my head and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Jacksonville has to get to the offensive and defensive line before anything else. And I already gave you my opinion. I've given it forever on the defensive line. I just talked about crumbs off the table. I mean, to me, there's no doubt. I'm going offensive line first round at number 17. But I I want you to get into that tonight with us. There's so much um, that has been decided by you already on whether or not to bring back Calvin Ridley or to not bring back Calvin Calvin Ridley. Well, add to that. Give us another link to it. What about a big target? What about a big body wide receiver? And I don't necessarily think you have to address that in the first round. As a matter of fact, I'm opposed to addressing that in the first round. Just something to consider. It's one of many things that we are going to get into tonight. We're going to have the very latest as well from the Senior Bowl. We're going to talk about that offensive line including uh, just the incredible performance so far that Oregon's Jackson Powers Johnson has showed. Unfortunately, he went out today with an injury, an undisclosed injury, but he was having a really good camp so far or really good you know, practice sessions uh, to preview this senior ball. I have no idea the extent of the injury and and – you know, in a situation like this where they're talking about first round for him, I, I don't care if it's the slightest tweak, I don't, think, I don't think we'll see him play on Saturday. And again, I could be totally wrong. We can wake up tomorrow and, you know, on a Thursday and everything would be perfect. This could be just simply a precaution. I don't want to get ahead of it because I don't know outside of the fact that he left halfway through practice today. But there's been a lot of draft nicks out there locally, and I talk about JAG fans who love this stuff, who look at this young man and say, bring him in. Bring a first-round center. I know it's not going to, you know, sell a lot of newspapers. I I know it's not going to be plastered up on billboards all through town because he's a center. But it's what this football team needs if they want to get rid of that soft label that they have in the ditch. So we'll get into that a little bit later on. Also, coming up in about five minutes, we're going to talk with Dave Campo. Really looking forward to the conversation with Dave. I, I know I just spent all of my time here on D, on offense, but I, I want to go to the other side of the football and get Dave's opinion on Ryan Nielsen and what he believes the Jaguars are going to do this year 
defensively. Let's talk to one of the great defensive minds of the last several decades in, uh, in Dave Campo. So he's coming up in just a little bit. All right, as we get things started, want to uh, single out the good folks over at Schmunez Vision. And, you know, you're driving home right now. I imagine that as it's, uh, it's getting dark, you, you notice just how fatigued your eyes have become after a very long day. And we're all getting older. And you may say to yourself, wow, my contacts, man, they're not what they once were. I need a new prescription. Okay, schmunezvision.com. But what if it's more serious than that? What if you get dizzy? What if, you, if you're noticing uh, red spots? What if all of a sudden you're driving and your vision gets a little sideways on you? It's blurry type vision. It, it could be a number of things. And obviously, everyone's eyes are different. Everyone's DNA is different. But when you talk about Schmunez vision, it's so much more than just getting your eyes checked and getting new glasses or contacts. Uh-uh. We're talking about personal, high-quality medical and surgical eye care where Dr. Neil Schmunez performed surgery on my right eye more than eight and a half years ago. There's never been a setback. That's why I scream about him every night. Did an outstanding job uh, for me. Dr. Catherine Schmunez, fellowship trained in cornea cataract surgery, all refractive surgery. Combined, that's 30 years of experience when it comes to laser eye surgery. They are the best in town. I want you to visit them by going to Schmunez Vision or SchmunezVision.com. For you, your family, the kids, the grandparents, check them out today. Schmunez Vision online. All right, let me come back. Let's uh, get to you. 641-1010 on our text line brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures. And let's go to the defense. Let's talk to Dave Campo. He goes into the night with Rick Ballou. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. All right, no one's more excited about this than uh, than I am because I haven't had an opportunity yet to talk with Dave Campo about Ryan Nielsen and also what is expected out of this Jaguars defense in 2024. Let's bring in the former head coach of the Cowboys, and of course he's been all over during his uh Years as a coach, including right here in Jacksonville. Does great stuff for us here at 92.5 FM in Jacksonville. Dave Campo with Rick Bogle. How you doing, coach? I'm good, uh, Rick. Uh, this is, uh, you know, kind of a, a good time from the standpoint that uh, there's some good football to be played here. Unfortunately, we're not a part of it. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. Um, did Jacksonville get it right by dismissing most of the defensive coaches and not the offensive coaches? Well, here's how I look at it. You know, I'm not inside the building, so I don't know exactly what goes on, but from what I'm hearing here and there, uh, I think uh, Coach Peterson believes that the situation on offense was just as much dictated with injury and uh, things that can be fixed. And obviously that fix means going out and getting some interior uh, offensive linemen to, to, you know, clear up that pocket a little bit for the quarterback. And, you know, I think he feel, felt like he can fix that on defense, really the last half of the year especially. But this problem has been there right along. Uh, without turnovers, that defense was not very good. And, you know, from what I'm hearing, there were some situations where guys uh, – we're not putting in the time and the effort to get things done. 
And I just feel he felt that uh, he had to make a change there. Uh, unfortunately, I don't like to see anybody fired, but uh, you know, that last, if, if our defense had played at all, the last half of the season, we'd be in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, throughout the years in the NFL, in a lot of coaching circles, when you say goodbye to someone, you bring in someone, something that's totally different. For example, you know, Doug Peterson had a first time offensive, defensive, and special teams coordinator. I thought a week, two weeks ago that, you know, Leslie Frazier, a Wink Martindale, they go after a guy who had years and years of experience. That's not the case with Ryan Nielsen. Two years ago, a co-defensive coordinator in New Orleans, and last year he ran the defense in Atlanta. Because of what I said, are you surprised he was the, uh, he was the selection? Well, you know, obviously I, I was uh, under the impression that they must go after a guy that's been in the league for a while, uh, you know, at, at a coordinator position. Uh, but it really comes down to how comfortable he is with uh, Ryan Nielsen. That's a big part of coaching is making sure that your staff uh, are guys that you feel good about. Uh, unfortunately, the first year, for example, when Mike Caldwell came in, you know, in the NFL, Rick, it's tough to get who you want because guys are under contract. Uh, you know, you, you can't, like in college, you can go out and pay a guy more money to go from one school to the next without the contract problem. In the NFL, you have that. So I really feel like he felt that Nielsen was the right guy. Uh, they've had some guys that, that are very close to uh, Doug that knew him very well. And, you know, I've heard really, really good things about his organization ability and his aggressiveness and some of the things that, that he brings to the table. So, you know, to me, uh, I think he's given them the reins. I think he's been able to uh, hire the guys that he wants on defense. And, you know, obviously, jobs, uh, you know, Doug's job's on the line as well. So he must feel pretty comfortable with this guy. We went out to Atlanta talking with Dave Campbell, former uh, Cowboys head coach, and of course coached here in Jacksonville as well, and uh, is with us all the time on both uh, AM 1010 and 92.5 on the FM. Um, your years as a coach, I've had conversations with you both on and off the air when, when the time uh, permitted uh, you getting guys' faces. A lot of guys that you coached would, uh, with would do the same. There was a feeling that defensively, they were missing that, and we've seen the way that these athletes have changed over the years now, Dave. I mean, getting in someone's face when they make a mistake, just your your opinion on that, because I think there's a lot around the league where if you do that to today's player, you know, they'll quit on you, and certainly in college, they'll transfer and go to another school. My my understanding after talking with people in Atlanta is that Ryan Nielsen's a guy who's not afraid to be aggressive and not afraid to confront his players. I think that comes with, you know, coaching to me, Rick, is about 60 or 70% sales. You know, you have to sell yourself, your scheme, your system, the head coach, whatever it is. And it all comes down to respect, in my opinion. I think that in, this athlete today is different a little bit because of all the media attention and all those things they are a little bit more uh, about themselves in a lot of ways than they are the team. But I think it comes down to, uh, I believe you have to be yourself. And I do believe that there's a time and a place where you have to, you know, call guys out 
But at the same time, you have to be able to, to hug their neck as well. Mm. And I think, I don't think that the, the old adage that, uh, you know, I'll, you know, you tell them to run through a wall, they're going to run through the wall. Yeah. I think you, you have to approach it with the idea that I'm going to be transparent. And I'm going to tell you right off the bat, and I believe Nielsen's like this because I know some guys that know him. Uh, you have to be transparent in the fact that, uh, listen, guys, if you don't do the job, we're all in trouble. Yeah. So if I have to call you out, I'm going to call you out. But at the same time, I'm going to love on you when you do things right. I, I want to play this real quickly for you, Dave. Uh, you may have already heard it, but when we were learning about Ryan Nielsen, we, we kept reading, statistically speaking, that he plays more press coverage and more man coverage than perhaps anyone else in the NFL. Uh, Trent Bulky last Thursday was asked about this when we met with him. Here's what the Jaguars general manager had to say. I don't read all the, the stuff, but this – idea that he's a full man coverage guy is fully blown out of proportion. I think I'll let him speak on scheme. Uh, it's really a zone-based system, right? Not a man-based system, but sometimes, a lot of times when you play zone and you play it well, it turns into man, you know, with the match concepts and everything else. But that's as scheme-related as I'm going to get. Can you explain that, Dave? Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, uh, I, I don't know that uh, Trent did all his homework because they had more press coverage than anybody in the league, period. And now I can preface that with, though, what he said as far as matchups in zone coverage, that is true. In other words, we played a lot of quarter coverage back in the day, and that was a zone man principle, meaning that guys matched up on routes but their eyes were still on the quarterback. They, they did things based on where guys went, push guys through, that type of thing. So in, sometimes it looks like man, but they can certainly play zone with some man principles. So uh, my feeling is if you said, is this guy a press guy? Absolutely. You know, he's going to force the, the, the aggressiveness with the corners, and that's something that we have to see if we have the corners that can do that, or do we have to go out and get guys? Yeah. I don't think they're 100% man, but I don't. I believe that they're a, an aggressive zone man, whatever you want to call it, uh, type of a scheme. All right. So, yeah, I mean, it sounded – and Trent Mulkey during our conversation last week said that it was Doug Peterson who was hiring the coaches. And it with that soundbite, it, it sounded as if that was a Doug Peterson hire. Um, let's wrap it up with this and let's take this a step farther. What you just added to, uh, final year contractually speaking for both Tyson Campbell and Darius Williams. I mean, this team could bring back $11 million and only eat 500,000 if they elect to go in a different direction with Darius Williams. Uh, it's an unfair question, but I, I I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you think they can play more than 50% press and man coverage based on what you've seen? Well, I haven't seen it. <laughs> okay, you know, there you go. The, right. that's, that's the situation that you're in. I mean, I think that they have to take a look at the guy and say, hey, look, we can teach this. Uh, you know, and, and believe me, Rick, a lot of people think the NFL, you just throw the ball out there and let guys play because they're such good athletes. The problem is that the guys they're playing against are just as good athletes as they are. 
you have to teach fundamentals and techniques. And, you know, we worked awful hard back in the day of teaching press technique and that type of thing. And we didn't have uh, burners uh, at corner at times, but we could run with guys by technique. So it's going to look like uh, they're going to look at those guys and they're going to say, I think I can do this with this guy or I can't. And then they'll make a decision. And, and I would be, I would not be surprised at all if uh, at number 17, if they took a corner. Really? Wow. See, I think they need interior offensive line and interior defensive line. No doubt about it. Hey, Dave, always a pleasure. I know we'll have you back on uh, real soon. Thank you as always. Hey, listen, I enjoy being out with you, Rick. I enjoy sitting with you and talking ball, too. So, always a lot of fun. We do that in the press box. Take care, Dave. Thank you. Have a good one. All right, there he goes, Dave Campo. Great stuff. I, I, and I love this comment there on, on Bulky. But, but, by the way, that's fine. That's fine with Bulky. I mean, he told the truth that it was Doug Peterson's decision on the coaching staff, despite all the rumblings. Despite all of the, he's a bulky guy, he's a bulky guy. I mean, you heard that comment, and you heard Dave Campo's response to it. So, um, I just wanted some some clarity on that, and I think a lot of you Jaguar fans did as well. Thank you to Dave Campo. Thank you as well to Patriot Roofing Services. They do help you bring the program right here on this Wednesday night, whether it's commercial or residential roofing or repairs, gutters, sun tubes, skylights. Uh, just give my buddy Mark Tozolo a call, 982-4052. Or better yet, check him out online at Patriot Roofing. All right, 10-year workmanship warranty financing is available. Discounts for military and senior citizens. And you know what? No subcontractors. Licensed and insured, but you're dealing with only Mark to Zolo. So give him a call, 982-4052, or once again, go online at Patriot Roofing, whether you need a brand new roof for your business or home, or you need repairs to your roof. It is Patriot Roofing Services. All right, we got much more to do. Some Fred Taylor Hall of Fame talk coming up at 7 o'clock tonight with Hall of Fame voter Mike Sando. In the meantime, let's get some from you. A lot of good stuff rolling in, as I would expect. On the text line, 641-1010. That is brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures. We'll also hear from the incomparable J.J. LaSalva when we return on Into the Night with Rick Ballou. Into the Night with Rick Ballou on 1010XL 92.5 FM. All right, we need tonight till 8 o'clock. That'll be the case the rest of the week, tomorrow night and Thursday night. Tomorrow night, live report from Mobile. All right, we're going to have that coming right out of the chute at 625 on Thursday. Uh, apparently not a good day today for quarterbacks. That's not your problem in this city, right? You have your quarterback. You got your quarterback on the cheap. Year four, $11.7 million. Keep them healthy. Build an offensive line. So we'll get into that heavily uh, during uh, tomorrow night's show. Maybe spend a little time on that uh, tonight. Thank you to Dave Campo. Really enjoyed it as well. I, I've been trying to get Mike Sando on. We're going to do that in 15. Uh, Mike's a voter. And, you know, Fred. Ta- I've thought all along that Fred Taylor's a year away. I thought he would get it 
in uh, in February of 2025, not this year. Certainly, I'd be very excited, as I know all of you out there would be as well. You you look at the running back numbers, and Fred's next up. All right, the only guys who are not in the Hall of Fame who have rushed for more yards are not eligible as of yet in both Frank Gore and Adrian Peterson. Um, you know, Fred, I, I, I think to some extent there's still a little bit of small market involved during those years. And I, I, I know if you're younger, you may be like, well, wait a minute, I, I, that doesn't resonate. Uh, today, I don't care if you're small market, right? If you're here or Green Bay or whatever it may be with, with every game on and, and everything right in front of you, social media-wise, your phone – uh, that's that's impossible, but it did come into play in the in the mid to late '90s, and and even the you know turn of the millennium. And I think it had an effect on Baselli. I think it's had an effect on Taylor. I think it's had an effect on Jimmy Smith. Jimmy Smith. Th- there's a lot of guys in front of Jimmy Smith that that need to get in, right? And it's a long list: Heinz Ward, Anquan Bolden. Johnson, Wayne, Holt. I mean, there's six or seven guys that that have numbers that are there with Jimmy Smith. He he's got to have, you know, you you got to have one or two get in almost a year. So all of a sudden, you look at the wide receivers, and there's there's not as many. That's not the case for Fred Taylor. You know, Fred Taylor. It's I guess it's Tiki Barber. And and really, that's about it. Now, in another four, oh, another three years, you're gonna have Frank Gore, and you and you're gonna have Adrian Peterson. But let's uh, let's get an opinion from a guy out in the Seattle market, who, um, you know, I would think that back in the days where Fred Taylor played, maybe Mike Sandel wasn't as uh, as invested back then. You know, think of yourself following football out in Seattle back then, not now. But back then, and I, I, I think it is a, um, uh, an interesting point on, uh, on all of this. Uh, where did uh, – I wanted to find that because it was, it was an interesting point as I was talking about the wide receivers. Uh, someone mentioned it, uh, Elijah Cooks to me. All right. You know, Elijah Cooks is um, – he's six foot four, two fifteen. But here's the deal. He was targeted four times, three receptions in nine games. So he's really not part of the plan. And what I mean by going out and getting a big body wide receiver is a guy who's part of the plan, a guy who's involved in your rotation. And, and the way I look at it, you're losing two out of your top five wide receivers in Zay Jones and Jamal Agnew. You may be losing a third when you look at Calvin Ridley. So there's plenty of availability to add. It's going to be nuts. You just heard Dave Campbell said, don't be surprised at 17 if they go corner. Where I, I'm looking at our text line here, and I'm getting wide receiver after wide receiver. And, of course, my opinion is, is offensive line. It's going, to be, um, it's going to be simply nuts. But J.D., what do you think about that whole small, small market thing for Fred Taylor? I, I think we've talked about this in the past. you think he comes into play, or that's just a bunch of bananas? That's just stuff Jags people talk about. I don't think it matters at all. Well, there you have it from J.J. Lasalva. I don't know. We'll see. Um, 
Now let's leave this alone to the other side. I actually want to bring on our, our, our guest here uh, on time, uh, Mike Sando, coming up here at the top part of the hour. Uh, getting a lot of good stuff in, though, and I, I do want to get to you. Here's another one, Elijah Cooks. He says 6'2", 235. He's not. He's 6'4". Elijah Cooks is 6'4". I give him credit for that. And, you know, he's under contract next year, so he's going to be a camp guy. His base salary is $915,000. Right, he um, there's zero dead cap money. I mean, literally six thousand bucks. So the the only he comes down to does he make the team or does he not make the team? If he makes the team, you pay him his entire salary, which is nine hundred and fifteen thousand dollars. If he doesn't make the team and you cut him, you eat six thousand six hundred and sixty-seven dollars. So that that's a bottom of the roster. Does he make the team? And, and there's going to be a lot of those type of guys. There, there really are. And, and, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how they approach guys like, like Daniel Thomas, uh, for instance, who got injured late but is such a good gunner and a special teams guy. Well, he'll be entering year five. Do you want to pay him around league minimum at year five? Or can you find a Daniel Thomas in the draft where you don't pay? As much money, and when I say in the draft, I'm not talking about a third or a fourth round pick. I'm talking about a, you know, a sixth or a seventh round pick, or an, or an undrafted free agent that you can get for the rookie league minimum, uh, compared to you know giving this guy that much more uh, of a of an extension. We don't we don't spend enough on the on the back half of the roster. Everything is you know the premier guys. And what they're making, but when you're trying to fill a 53, I think that becomes very important. You know, a guy like Shaq Quarterman, you would just think, uh-uh, not going to happen. He spent four years here. Well, he's a four-core special teams guy. Do you get him for that amount of money for year five, year six, whatever it may be? Or again, do you go for a sixth or seventh round rookie that you can get cheaper? And that's a part of this as well that is going to be fascinating when it comes to what Trent Baalke is going to have to do during the offseason. As we sit here right now, Jacksonville is officially, according to OverTheCap.com, they are $11,574,000 under the cap. So that is where they are. The league year begins, as we know, in the middle part of March. Let's go out to Seattle. Let's bring in Mike Sando. Let's talk about the Hall of Fame and Fred Taylor. He joins us next with Rick Ballou on Into the Night. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. All right, we've been real busy. Thank you to Dave Campo. Good stuff there. Getting a better understanding of what this new Jaguars defense is going to be all about with Ryan Nielsen. Mike Sando. Love talking with him. He is... uh, He's done it all, including with the Athletics Senior Writer. He is a Hall of Fame voter. He is uh, at the Super Bowl each and every year, and he joins us on Into the Night with Rick Ballou. Mike, always a lot of fun to have you with us. Thank you, sir. Hey, glad to be here. Yep, good to talk with you. And 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 first things first, I know you're, you're located in Seattle. Did the Seahawks get it right with Mike McDonald? Well, he's called plays for 37 games in the NFL and is 36 years old. So, I mean, I don't think we can know. That's part of the kind of, you know, invigorating yeah. nature of some of these hires of going with young guys. You know, you, sticking with 72-year-old Pete Carroll is its own risk, right? But you know what he is. 
Mm-hmm. And I think uh, this year we've seen uh, a lot more kind of experimental candidates, uh, younger guys who are fitting with younger GMs who uh, maybe don't come in with a, the power of a Bill Belichick or the voice of a Mike Vrabel, and yeah. they're going to fit a little bit more seamlessly into the existing infrastructure. Maybe the GM has the final say, that sort of a thing. So um, there's more than one way to get to alignment, right, mm-hmm. uh, between your coach and GM. And you know, there's risks with both. But I think for Seattle, after going with the Mike Holmgrens and uh, you know Pete Carroll's of the world, this is new. Yeah. And there's risk with it, but there could be great upside too. You may you have a guy who's had a great scheme in Baltimore and seems really sharp with a great way of teaching defense. And uh we'll see. They they've got a match with Kyle Shanahan. They got a match with Sean McVay. They've chosen a road to try to match up with those guys. Young coaches who have had success, no doubt, in the NFL. We see six, seven, eight, nine this year coaching changes. Were you surprised that that Belichick did not get a job? And do you see him returning next year at seventy three? Well, I was only to the extent, uh, you know, we had heard late in the regular season that Atlanta was going to be serious on him. And I thought, if you're serious about Bill Belichick, there's no mystery, right? You know what comes with that. You know that he's going to want a bunch of power over personnel and we're going to do things Bill Belichick's way. So I thought if there was, I thought there wouldn't be many teams interested. Most teams don't want to do that. But if Atlanta was interested enough to bring him in, why wouldn't they what was the problem? No. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, what, did you learn something during there that, oh, wait, wait, Bill wants too much power? Yeah. Uh, that was a little bit, that was the only one that was a little weird. So I don't know that he comes back next year because I think it's a unique place to take him. It's going to be pretty intriguing. Yeah, it's going to have to be the right job, uh, you would think. But hey, as we said a moment ago, it, it changes. I mean, each and every year, you know, what, nearly 40%, uh, or not 40%, but about 25% of the uh, the coaches yeah. are, are looking for another job. Uh, Mike, you're a Hall of Fame voter. Uh, a lot of talk around here uh, about Fred Taylor, and is this finally the year? Your thoughts mm-hmm. on Fred Taylor in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, well, he has, uh, you know, a, the challenge he has is he's got one Pro Bowl on his resume, right? That's, that's probably a challenge for mm-hmm. him uh, because it shows a lack of notoriety. It shows that people don't automatically know how good he was. And so there's more of probably a case that needs to be built around him. Right. And Mm -hmm. I know from having covered, uh, so I'm the hall of fame selector and I represent the Seattle market. So when it was, I had to present one year Cortez Kennedy. Well, he was a defensive player of the year on a two and 14 team that nobody watched. People didn't know that much about him. So there's an education process. Mm -hmm. Now it helped. Like I said, he was defense player of the year. He'd been to, whatever, seven, eight, nine Pro Bowls, that helped. But for players like Fred Taylor, who didn't get the acclaim during their time that they probably deserved, there, I believe there's an education process. Not that people don't know who he is, but he doesn't have the same notoriety, right? It's a little bit more of an uphill fight. So I think it's great news for him that he got in the room. Mm-hmm. I mean, just getting in the room of 15, there's a very strong record that eventually you get in. So that would be the hope for him. It's been a little bit of an uphill fight, but people need to really evaluate how good he was and evaluate the production more than they maybe did when he was playing. Tony Baselli had the accolades, and mm-hmm. obviously um, it took him a while to get in. And his career was obviously shortened because of injury, but it, it took a while there. So I, I believe the thinking is for Fred Taylor, it, it is going to take some time. I've said all along I thought next year at the earliest – 
would be when he gets in. So is it more of the presentation for the voters, or can you simply just look at all-time leading rushers and say he's the next man up? No, uh, trust me, if it was that easy, I mean, I I hit my head on the wall sometimes too because everybody has, you know, everybody has a different opinion on certain guys and who should go in first, and it's really hard to get a consensus. Uh, Not everybody uses the exact same uh, criteria, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't need a committee. Mm-hmm. We would just have a criteria and say, "Up, oh, yep, you rank 20th in rushing, you're in, or whatever, right? It's not how it works. So it can become very frustrating, and especially for the candidates, because, uh, and I know Tony Baselli, and it's a frustrating thing. You're like, wait a minute, this shouldn't be so hard. But think of it this way. There's 15 finalists in the modern era every year. There's five slots. You could make a case for all 15, right? Mm-hmm. So there's no mathematic, mathematically, there's 3000 unique combinations of five possible every year. Mike, um, I mean, it just makes it hard. Yeah, no doubt. And, and, you know, his lack of Pro Bowls in an era where Curtis Martin got in, Jerome Bettis got yeah. in, Ed Jaron James got in, Marshall Falk yep. got in. For the most part, much bigger markets, much more respected. Does... The big market, small market, I know it seems ridiculous because now everything is everywhere, but we're talking about back when Fred played. Not a lot of people nationally got Jacksonville week to week, and I got to believe that maybe applies into some of the Hall of Fame voters. Is that an aspect of all this? I believe that it does have a factor, you know, and not for me personally, but I've watched this happen uh, recently when the coaches went in, which are, you know, in a different category, but... You know, to me, Jimmy Johnson and Bill Cowher being so familiar and being on TV helps them. And, and you know, some other candidates, uh, for example, I mentioned I, I will advocate on behalf of people in the Seattle market. Mike Holmgren's resume is just as good or better. But Mike Holmgren's not on TV every day for the every week for the last 15 years, right? Mm-hmm. I yeah. believe that there is an awareness around people. I, I believe it exists. I think it helps them. You know, it's uh, I'm a Heisman voter, and I'm very frustrated that those votes go in way too soon. Obviously, uh, <laughs> the, the voting is minuscule when you talk about Hall of Fame voting compared to the Heisman voting, but it almost feels like there's some who don't take it seriously enough. I'm, I'm really interested in this, Mike. What is the education in that room? I mean, is it all credentials? Is it, uh, is it you know, individual seasons? It, it, what if Fred Taylor had won a Super Bowl with the New England Patriots? That was one of the few years that they did not win. Is that something that that ended up hurting him? I don't think so. You know, I think people understand. To me, the Super Bowl thing probably matters a little more if you're a quarterback or a head coach because those guys really probably do affect the game more, right? I mean, I think running backs are great, but they're they're not affecting the game as much as a quarterback or even a head coach. So some of those things can help with your notoriety, I I, I think, but I don't think for a running back, uh, that's a big deal. Now, when we're talking about someone in a really, in a small market who wasn't watched, uh, do I think if the Jaguars had won three Super Bowls in a row and he was the running back on that team, would he possibly be in? I do believe that. Uh, that would, I think that would help him. But I think a, uh, you know, a one-off Super Bowl with New England or something like that, uh, I don't see how that would 
yeah. necessarily factor. You know, but look, if in the game he had 200 yards rushing, I mean, sure, that'd be part of the equation, right? No, no doubt. Hey, as as, uh, as I let you go, uh, are we going to start to see a run on these wide receivers? Holt, Johnson, Wayne, et cetera? Um, I think we'll have some movement. You know, I don't know if we're going to get them. It's hard to get all a bunch of them all in at once, but, you know, I just settle for one at a time. And I think, you know, we should have a, a, a chance of doing that. These guys have gotten closer every year. And so, yeah, I think we'll, I'm optimistic there. It does bog down when you have multiple guys at one position. And sometimes you can't make sense of it. But on that final vote, the votes get split because when you have five final choices, no one's going to do three receivers probably, right? So I might mm-hmm. do one, you might do another, another guy might do another, then none of them make it. <laughs> but I think we got a chance. Hey, is there a, is there stodginess in the room where you can be an automatic first ballot Hall of Famer, but it's like the baseball writers and someone's going to say, there's no way we're going to have a 100% vote? No, I've never seen that. And it, You know, so I think football is different. Um I think it's different than that. Uh, but when it's somebody like when Jerry Rice is going in, mm-hmm. the person who's presenting him like doesn't give a big speech usually. I mean, sometimes they might be like, uh, anybody not going to vote? You know, if yeah. Manning's up or something, right? It'd be like, okay, just let me know if you've got a problem here. Otherwise, let's move on to our next guy. <laughs> yeah, let's get to it. Mike Sando with The Athletic Senior Writer does a great job covering the NFL. Mike, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. Okay, thank you. There he goes. Good stuff there. So, you know, there's your uh, there's your perspective on Fred Taylor. And, and listen, I've I've interviewed Mike enough, and I pre-vote uh, or or pre-announcement, I, I, I I'm not going to ask him who he voted for. Okay, it's it's kind of like before the Heisman, I'm not going to tell you who I voted for. Um, you know, let's res- let let's respect the process. But for those who are are wondering. Here are the 15, Eric Allen and Jared Allen, a couple of defensive backs, right? And uh, Eric Allen played in some big markets, uh, including Philadelphia and Oakland. Jared Allen I absolutely deserves to get in. There, there's no question about it. Uh, you look at his resume. Uh, will he get in this year? We'll see. Willie Anderson, you know, kind of that's really the same era as Baselli and Ogden and Walter Jones and Orlando Pace and Bruce Armstrong, and Willie Rolfe. I mean, there were so many great offensive linemen. Is this the year uh, for Willie Anderson? The guy played for 12 years in Cincinnati and then wrapped it up with one year in Baltimore. Jahari Evans, Dwight Freeney. Okay, let's, again, let's get into it and compare numbers uh, to him or Allen. I got to believe one of the two is going to end up getting in. Uh, I think Antonio Gates gets in. As a tight end. Rodney Harrison. Mm. Maybe. Devin Hester. JJ and I, we talked about this the last couple of years. A lot of people believe last year Devin Hester was absolutely going to get in, and he didn't make it. Be interested to see if he gets in this year. Then you got wide receivers. You got Torrey Holt, who did spend a year here in Jacksonville in 2009. Jacksonville, you know, has Jacksonville doesn't have anyone else in the Hall of Fame who even played a year here. Think about that. I mean, a lot of these guys, you know, we 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 forget about the fact that Dwight Freeney, after his career in Indianapolis, went to San Diego, Arizona, Atlanta, Detroit, and Seattle. He went to six teams, right? Andre Johnson, after that fantastic career that he had in Houston, went to Indianapolis and Tennessee. Julius Peppers is absolutely getting in. 
right? He's got to get in. I believe this is his first time on the ballot. Uh, he's there. So, Tory Holt, Andre Johnson, Reggie Wayne, uh, Patrick Willis, entire career in San Francisco. Darren Woodson, his entire career in Dallas. And then you have Fred Taylor, 1998 through 2008 here in Jacksonville, spent 2009 and 2010 in New England. Um, Mike Sando was a voter, said he didn't really think that whole Super Bowl meant all that much. You heard him say he thinks it does for quarterbacks. But Fred did not win a Super Bowl ring during those two years with the New England Patriots. All right, you want to respond to anything you just heard there? Our conversation uh, with Mike Sando on the Hall of Fame. Best way for you to get us is on the text line. That number is 641-1010. I do want to get back to you as well on all of this Jaguar stuff we got into earlier. Got a lot of really good feedback on it. So let's, uh, let's grab some more. Uh, responses are already in. We'll get to them, but you can certainly add to them. Again, same number. 641-1010 on the text line. Brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures. Let's go into the night with Rick Ballou on 1010XL 92.5 FM. Thank you to Mike Sando. Good stuff here with Mike, Hall of Fame voter. We'll see about Fred Taylor. He's in the room. He's in the final 15. I think it'll take a little bit of time for Fred And not to be redundant, but I know it means a lot to you, uh, 11,695 yards at 17th all-time. Everyone else is in. In front of him, except for Frank Gore and Adrian Peterson, who were third and fifth respectively. But you begin at 10. Tony Dorsett, Jim Brown, Marshall Falk, Marshall Falk Ed Jaron James, Marcus Allen, Franco Harris, Thurman Thomas. Then it's Fred Taylor. And, and that's where it ends. And, you know, after that, you have Steven Jackson. You have John Riggins. You know, Riggins won Super Bowls uh, in D.C. In, in a different era. Then it's Corey Dillon, not in. Then it's O.J. Simpson. Then it's LaShawn McCoy, not in. Warwick Dunn, not in. Ricky Waters, not in. Jamal Lewis, not in. And those numbers drop drop considerably, particularly when you get to Waters and Lewis. But gauging by what Mike Sando was saying, it's a little naive to think it's by the numbers. I'm sure they come into play to some extent, but there's certainly other things uh, that they look at. And and you heard his initial answer, uh, talking about uh, Pro Bowls there with Fred Taylor. Uh, Apparently, we have another hire uh, that's going on. We talked about what's going on in, in Seattle with Mike McDonald uh, coming over as a 36-year-old to now run that franchise after 14 years of Pete Carroll in Seattle. It's now Mike McDonald who will become the youngest head coach in the National Football League. Well, Jeff Halfley, who's been on the hot seat at Boston College, 22 and 26 and four years at BC, uh, they got a huge win. I remember we were watching it here live uh, on our program. It was at the Fenway Bowl over SMU. But apparently he is off to Green Bay to become their defensive coordinator. 
And I, 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 I don't want to see if I can find anything on this story on ESPN. All right, there's nothing reported here, so we'll have to go looking for it. But I, I wonder what you're getting paid as a head coach at BC to compare to what you're going to get paid now as a defensive coordinator in Green Bay. But there's more to that. This becomes one of those situations where instead of living on the hot seat and being asked to, to win games in Chestnut Hill, why not take advantage of a brand new opportunity and all of a sudden turn around now and, you know, run the defense in Green Bay. So there's going to be another job uh, that is going to open. And that's that can always be a concern around here uh, for Florida State coaches, Florida, Miami, Georgia. You know, do you, do you make a run at a coordinator? Do you make a run at a guy that, that at this point you would think it's all said and done, right? You, you went through UW. You went through Bama. You know, Michigan, for the most part, is staying intact. Um, we'll see if Harbaugh still is going to add here and add there. But, yeah, I do find that uh, a little bit interesting that that, that came in today. Mike McDonald, uh, as you're aware of, uh, did run the defense in Baltimore. Uh, in the ACC, this is really a mess now. And, and you know, I have – obviously I'm not anything close to being a lawyer, so – I don't want to get into things that that um, I, I have no clue towards. But I read this story, and I've read several of them, about FSU going after, you know, the ex-boss, the ex-commissioner, John Swafford, in their amended complaint. And what this whole process has that, frankly, hasn't been discussed enough, this is an example of Richard McCullough and Mike Alford the Florida State president and athletic director absolutely cleaning up a massive mess by Stan Wilcox and John Thrasher, okay? An impossible, as bad as the football program was with Willie Taggart to Mike Norvell, Florida State's administration, Florida State's leadership under John Thrasher and Stan Wilcox was even worse. And I always, I'm no fan at all of Jim Phillips, okay? I think he's a putz. I I think he sucks. I said it from my my official, uh, first ever meeting with him during, you know, the year after COVID. He was in way over his head. Again, after Greg Sankey broke everything down to a T, about cancellations and suspensions and all of that in the SEC. A day later, Jim Phillips looked about as qualified to answering the question on COVID as Roger Goodell has in consecutive years when he was asked about the lack of African-Americans working at NFL.com. Oh, I don't handle that. I don't know what. You remember Roger Goodell stepped back two years in a row. That was Jim Phillips. He had no clue. So I got immediately a really bad impression of him. I always thought John Swafford was a pretty decent boss in the ACC. But even though Jim Phillips, you know, he's at odds right now with McCullough and Alfred, don't let any of this confuse you. This is a battle that is now Jim Phillips in the ACC against Florida State 
their current president, Richard McCullough, their current athletic director, Mike Alford. It's all a mess left by John Swafford, John Thrasher, and Stan Wilcox. And, and this story that came out, the 59-page complaint, I haven't read the actual 59 pages. I, I have the, you know, the thumbnails, if you will, the cliff notes. This is just amazing to me that the Swaffords could be this stupid and, and actually think that they were going to get away with it. And I guess in some circles they did. Because it happened in, what, 2010? If you have no idea what I'm talking about, Florida State sued initially about getting out of the grant of rights, right? The Atlantic Coast Conference responded, countersued Florida State. Florida State, earlier this week in Leon County, they filed a 59-page amended complaint with the majority part of this being was the Atlantic Coast Conference being engaged in self-dealing media rights to John Swafford's son, Chad, in Raycom Sports. And right after this agreement did take place, son Chad all of a sudden became president and general manager of Raycom Sports. So Florida State, you know, they they won out of the grant of rights, which is going to cost them more than a half billion dollars. Make no bones about it. What Florida State wants more than just the removal of themselves from the grant of rights, they don't want to pay that withdrawal free, uh, withdrawal fee. Florida State right now is thinking, we're going to pay our lawyers, which will probably be the tune to a couple million. Hell, it could be five, ten million. I, I don't know. I don't know what these lawyers charge, but that's what they're planning on here. And if you go back to their last bot meeting with the board of trustees, they don't plan on spending a penny. How could John Swafford do this with his son, Chad, and watch his son, Chad, grow to that incredible position of leadership for Raycom, knowing that there was going to be or there was a good possibility of something like this actually happening? Uh, During this 2010 agreement, which was with ESPN, uh, Raycom, instead of... John Swafford going out and having conversations with other potential bidders, you know, other other entities that could have taken on uh, the responsibility of uh, of what Raycom had, because there was a previous partnership with Raycom, and and Raycom, you know, apparently uh, complained and said that they were really struggling through some difficult financial times, and that they needed this package with the ACC to remain afloat, but uh, from what I understand is that they they made these decisions without the full-out knowledge of every single team in the Atlantic Coast Conference. So it was almost an under-the-table, behind-the-back deal without anyone, not only from FSU, but from, from other schools as well. So, you know, I, I, I will say... When we first heard about this, we kept hearing that the grant of rights was ironclad and that there was no way that you could enter that and rip it apart. You go to Florida State's initial um, release of, of, of coming out and suing the Atlantic Coast Conference, and now this, 
again, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not close to being a lawyer. But you read it and you're like, maybe they really do have reasons that once this goes up in front of a judge, they are going to see it the way of Florida State and eventually some other schools in the Atlantic Coast Conference. And it's not going to pound the table and say, no, doesn't hold any water. Uh, the ACC wins here. Based on what I've seen, it, it looks like there's much more of a chance than initially thought of. If that makes any sense to you. I don't know if it does or not, but, you know, we will continue on with this. It's going to be a just a crazy offseason uh, for Florida State with that. I mean, there's a lot of people over in God's country that are absolutely, positively, totally convinced that this is it for Florida State. They're not playing in the Atlantic Coast Conference in 2025. They are out. And, again, my whole opinion on this is we, we see whether it is, um, you know, an individual situation that is, uh, that is a criminal trial or if it's more of a, a public one that is involved with suing, you know, one entity compared to another, the, the paperwork and the delays are just enormous. And, you know, lawyers are, are very crafty in that way where they can find ways to delay things. And, and, and really, you know, a, a huge part of this whole battle is remember Florida State or any other school is not allowed to actually even go and look at the grant of rights and, and take your phone and copy any of it. They, they can't get a copy. You have to go to North Carolina to look at it, but you must retain it all in your mind. You can't take any notes. You can't take any photos. It's, um, it's unheard of. I, I got to believe, and again, I don't know what goes on in big business and, and situations like this. And as well, you know, Florida State, they want to have this in the state of Florida. They'd like to have it right there in Leon County. North Carolina and their lawyers are saying, no way, screw that. It's here. It's on Tobacco Road. So you got to solve that, too, before you even begin to really deliberate as to what is going to happen. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a nuts offense, uh, you know, nuts off season uh, for Florida State on things that are not directly on the football field. Uh, I have no idea what to expect as far as a time period on this. I'd love to say they'll wrap it up, you know, during the summer and that Florida State will play. Their schedule is already out uh, for the 2024 season, right? They open up in Ireland against uh, Georgia Tech. And then a week later, I want to say it's um, Labor Day evening. They play against Boston College, who we just told you about. It's going to need a new head coach. Like the Knowles to go 2-0 and in those matchups. I'd love to say it's going to be over by then. I have no idea. And I don't think anyone does at this point as to how long it's actually going to take. All right, when we come back, as promised, let's, uh, let's grab some of your thoughts on what We've uh, looked at tonight a lot of really interesting stuff, in my opinion, some great guests, and get some of your thoughts on it on our text line. That number is 641-1010. It's brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures. Into the Night with Rick Ballou on 1010XL 92.5 FM. Yeah, ESPN put out a coach's hot seat. I'm not a big fan of lists. 
unless it's the hot seat. And uh, Jeff Hafley wasn't on it. This came out yesterday. Dave Aranda, number one at Baylor. Actually, Sam Pittman is number one at Arkansas. I'm wondering if uh, this uh, is this in order the way he thinks it, or is it alphabetical? It's not. It's in his order. This is obvious. All right, Sam Pittman, Arkansas. Dave Aranda, Baylor. All right, Billy Napier, third on the list at Florida. Huge year for the Gators. Chip, uh, Chip Kelly at UCLA. Pretty intriguing. Now, Ryan Day at Ohio State. <laughs> I mean, they, they win more than 80% of their games. They just He's 56-8 and eight overall. But Lost you can't Michigan, be Michigan. Like, yeah, what, yeah, three years in a row? Or is it just two? I know the only win he has against Michigan was his first season. Yeah. And now that Harbaugh's gone, you got to win. Three straight uh, playoff appearances by the Wolverines. Doesn't sit well with the, uh, the faithful uh, in Columbus. Uh, Pat Narduzzi, one of my, probably my favorite coach in the ACC. Not named uh, Mike Norvell. Mike and I are tight. Eye to eye. Now that Bobby Petrino's out. But Bobby Petrino, did he go back to, did, did Petrino go to Arkansas? It's like the offense court. It, it, he you know, did. He went uh, with the Jimbo deal. When Jimbo got fired, it left Petrino out. Always going to be a big fan of Bobby Petrino. I mean, how can you not be a fan of a guy that when you literally shake his hand, you got to check to see if you still have all four fingers and a thumb. Um, that is the way that I do look at the aforementioned uh, Bobby Petrino. Uh, what is this? What is this? What is all? Oh, okay. You, Phillips is a joke. I thought you were ripping on Phillips Highway. We were going to have words because I run the Bayard section, all right, now, especially now that the, uh, the rooster uh, is down. You get deep in downtown north side, and I can't help you there, but you're talking about uh, Jim Phillips, the commissioner of the Atlantic Coast Conference. This is from the 7776. Uh, let's see. I, I had a couple of these. but I, I've got a couple in tonight that said Rick Balky is a Svengali. All right. Which I think the correct term should be a spin ghoulie, not a Svengali. But anyway, who am I to to try to change the way of uh thinking? But what do you what are your thoughts on the Jaguars drafting Brock Bowers? If the Jaguars draft Brock Bowers, I'm gonna pull a Rosie O'Donnell and get up and leave and go to another Oh, that's right, Rosie never left. She just flapped her gums. She stayed. I'm going to Costa Rica. I'm going to Colombia. I'm going to uh, Antarctica. I don't care. No, you just used a second-round pick on a tight end. You have your blocking tight end in Luke Farrell. You just paid a ton of money, and you had a career year in Evan Ingram. So, I mean, Brock Bowers could end up being the next great thing. But no. No, no, no. Is he projected that late? I, I just I think assumed, he'll be gone. yeah, the yeah. Jags wouldn't really have a shot at him. I think he'll be gone by uh, by 17. Now, did you see his teammate, Lad McConkey? Oh, he has runs. been amazing at the uh, Senior Bowl. The word on him and Ricky Pearsall, 
they run really good routes. Yes. I heard they're the kind of guy you would want your daughter to date. You know, first in, last out, lunch pail guys. I would I'd put them around, you know, I'd compare them to somebody like Cooper Cup or Danny Amendola, maybe. Or Wes Welker. Imagine as I have daughters, your daughter bringing home a boyfriend and his name is Lad. Lad. I just don't even know how to address that. What's up, Lad? Uh, but apparently he's going to make some money. 37-34, Elijah Cook says the build at 6-4. Talent-wise, not certain, though. Yep, kind of my point on that. I mean, unproven. And, and I'll tell you what, uh, I wasted a lot of airtime on him. Not wasted, but I spent a tremendous amount of airtime on him uh, this past year. And, you know, there, there are guys like that that are, are camp guys. It just never really ends up working out. And, and every team, every team deals with that. Uh, Lad's name is Andrew, by the way. You could call him that. I'll call him Andy. Yeah. Twenty-seven seventy-five. Baloo, how can you possibly have a legitimate contract if both parties don't have a copy of that contract? Great question. I'm not a lawyer, but that's one of the biggest beefs about the whole GOR, the whole grant of rights. I, I don't know how it could be a legitimate contract. Not even a clue when it comes to that. Ah, yada, yada, yada. Uh, 14-22, back to Elijah Cooks not being part of the plan. Is that a problem to me? I wonder why he is not because he's not a bulky pick, I guess. I don't know the story, but I know he did well during the preseason. Well, you're right about that. He was undrafted. He had an opportunity. Just didn't turn enough heads. You know, they, they had some decent undrafted wide receivers. And, you know. It just didn't work out for him. 94-34, Blue actually says, fellas. Been a long time since I've been called the fella. And he said it plural, meaning you and I, JJ. Fellas. Oh, hello. Entertaining as always. How about that? We fooled them. Not looking to uh, break the vibe. And sorry, this hasn't been answered before. But who is both currently? Oh, you're, you got me. The foursome and the cart girl. Mm-hmm. Man, I haven't done that. In five or six years around here, the ultimate, the Rick Blue ultimate golf foursome with a girl in a beer cart with nothing but a thong on show. No, I'm too politically correct nowadays. I would never do that again. I did it for like 20 straight years. Uh, am I foursome right now? I don't, I don't know. I, I just, the older I get, I find it hard. I, I, I just, I, I, I'm definitely going rock. Probably like the, Barrel down the first fairway with probably Jim Morrison, maybe Jimi Hendrix. Give me Bono, but I can just imagine Bono on my backswings getting really deep about stuff that I don't care to get deep with. I, Morrison and Hendrix's deep would be a totally different deep. You'd um, be talking about like the, the troubles in Ireland or something. I got a lot of response on Manson. And when I said Bulky had Manson, uh, you know, his cult uh, type of uh, way of uh, not fooling anyone. Trent Bulky can't fool anyone outside of Shot Khan. 
He's got a Manson-like spell. Maybe I'd have Charles out there just to kind of find out what the hell happened Lighten to him. the mood. Right. I'd probably go with Biden, Trump, Kamala, and uh, who else? Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi, of really? Of course. Okay. I used to do that. It was a lot of fun. I just, I, I just can't. Never been a fan of same old, same old. It got, got a little tiring. I still got it in my, uh, on my desk somewhere, uh, from year after year after year. Donna Blue Murphy one year like engraved it all for me. It's 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 pretty cool. But yeah, I did give it up years back, sadly. Now, today's takeaways brought to you by Key Buick GMC, where our family dealership has been helping families buy vehicles for over 50 years. Ah, the good folks at Key. Love it, love it, love it, love my Key truck. It is a GMC Sierra from Key. And uh, just uh, just loaded. And I've had it for six years now, and it, it just it looks brand new. It's It's amazing. And I keep saying to myself, you know, is it time to go get a new one? Is it time to go get a 2024? And I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. I still love this bad boy. So I've had it for six years, and it's been absolutely tremendous. The GF loves her Buick Enclave from Key as well. So make sure you visit them. Plenty of 24s are in, 23s as well. I, I'm getting ready to receive the brand-new incentives from Key that, of course, will uh, be there for the month of February. Uh, make sure you visit them, though, as early as tomorrow and throughout the rest of the week right there across the street from Tinseltown. It is Southside and Gate. Thank you to Key Buick GMC. I, I want to wrap it up tonight by saying this. Even though he was nicked today, apparently, and I haven't received the result of why he left practice, I, I have an early favorite 84 days away from the NFL draft, and that is out of Oregon as a center, Jackson Powers Johnson. Apparently at the Senior Bowl, he has been dominant, and that was the case. He was removed earlier today. Again, it was an undisclosed injury. Tomorrow night, all right, right out of the gate at 625, we're going to go out there and talk with Damian Parsons about the Senior Bowl from the NFL Draft Network and get his opinion on this. I'm obviously going to cover all the bases here, okay? I'm not going to do just what I think they should do. I'm going to cover everything, but I want to be crystal clear. Again, right now and every day that passes by, you must address the offensive line in Jacksonville. Tomorrow night, we'll have a full conversation on that. Now, the two-minute drill brought to you by Tire Outlet. Tire Outlet is now hiring. Visit tireoutlet.com slash careers. Equal opportunity employer. All right, Hacker Nation begins right now. You got yourself a hoop game. You got yourself a lot of good stuff happening tonight. Yeah, the Magic in San Antonio. So we get to see Victor Wimbenyama against Paolo Bancaro. I'll have that on one TV, and I'll get to see Florida get decimated by Kentucky on the other. So that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, I was on the golf course. Florida was up by, what, 13, 15 against Georgia. Then all of a sudden, I check it. They're going in the overtime. It was, they were up 21 with like 10 minutes to go. And then Mike White and the Georgia Bulldogs came roaring back. That was a season saver for Florida because if they would have lost that game in overtime, there's no coming back from that. I mean, Mike White on the opposing baseline, your former coach, you're beating him by 21. 
you blow that lead, it goes to overtime. Luckily, Florida was able to pull it out, but that would have been really bad for Todd Golden had they lost that game. Uh, they don't ever play well in Rupp Arena, so I have no expectations for tonight. They getting in the tournament? Lenardi has them as the next four out right now. Mm. Their problem is they're 14-6. and six, They're 4-3 and three in the conference. They don't have any bad losses. They don't have any warts or whatever you want to call it, so that, that's good. But they don't have, I guess they're called quad one wins. They don't have any of those. They have 11 games left. Six of their last 11 are against quad one opponents. Yeah. So you need to win a couple of these. Uh, but right now, if the tournament were today, no, they probably would not be in. At number 10, Kentucky tonight. Uh, number 16, Auburn uh, coming up in a, in a week and a half. And then you got more ranked games, Alabama twice, and uh, some other teams here with, with winning records. So we'll see. Uh, SEC is good this year. Well, I know. 14 and 6, 11 games left. I mean, you win half those games. You win five or six. You're right at the 20... Uh, the 20 win mark, and you're right around 500. You'd like to be a game, or perhaps two above 500, in the in the SEC conference. But I I think that would be enough to get you there, as long as you don't have a disastrous loss against an inferior opponent. And as you pointed out, you know, knocking off a ranked team would help. Five and six in the last 11, that gets you to 19 wins. That gets you to nine wins in the conference. You get a win in the conference tournament, probably 20 is the magic number, I would think. Now, if you get a quad one win or two, that might go down to 19 or 18. But if you can get 20 wins, find a way to win six more games, you're probably feeling pretty good about yeah. it going into Selection Sunday. But certainly six wins is a lot of work with that schedule. All right, what do you got coming up tonight? Yeah, you mentioned the Senior Bowl. We're actually going to go out there in the 9 o'clock hour. My buddy Ryan Roberts, Rise and Draft, the letter N, riseanddraft.com. He's going to join us from out in Mobile to talk Jags, talk what's going on out there in Mobile. But in hour number one, it's all about free agency, Rick. We're 40 days away, and we got Mike Gennetti, the founder of SpotTrack, coming on tonight. One of my favorite websites. Uh, they're all about the salary cap. I will tell you this, in talking to Mike earlier today, a very different outlook for the Jaguar offseason than what I have. And he does this for a living. It's what he does with salary caps and crunching the numbers and extensions here and dead cap money there and I think Jaguar fans, when they hear that conversation, are going to be very, uh, very interested. It's probably a much different conversation than they envision they're going to hear. Yeah, it feels like the local to the national media, or in this position, I guess he's not media. He, well, I guess he is with, with, with spot, uh, spot track, but it, it feels like the, the local guys are more fixed on the ditch where the national guys are looking at everything. Mm -hmm. they're, they're looking at everything, and... There's a thought that we're going to cut a lot of guys to get under the cap and to make more room and, you know, Fadakasi and Cam Robinson and Sheriff and all these guys. Not necessarily. I would pump the brakes on that, mm. at least according to the fellows at Spot Track. Well, I think you can make the point that maybe Trent Bulky won't do things this year the way he's done it in the previous three years because he's got to win to save his job for 2025. Exactly. I think that's a big part of it. All right, have a fun show. It's coming up. Right now with Hacker Nation. That's going to do it for us. Thank you to Mike Sando of The Athletic, their senior writer, one of their senior writers. Appreciate it. Also, Dave Campo talking about the Jaguars' defense. Uh, again, and I, I appreciate it. I really do. Got a, just a ton tonight. A ton uh, on the text line. And I didn't get a chance to answer you all, but it is appreciated as always. Tomorrow night, 6 to 8 as well. And that'll include Friday from 6 to 8. Thank you to J.J. LaSelva. 
My name is Rick Ballew. We'll talk tomorrow at 6 right here in your home of the Jazz.